Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and we will read verses 1 to 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping down to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we consider God's word together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are gathered here this morning in this place because your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. And we are gathered here this morning in his name. And I pray that we would hear him calling to us by our name. And that we would turn to him and cling to him. And that we would know that we are his. And that we would know the life and the salvation that we have him in him alone. And that we would be empowered to go out to declare this good news. In a city that is dying and dark and does, doesn't know it. For we ask it in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, John begins his account of the resurrection by saying, now on the first day of the week. 
And by saying that on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, he's reminding us of Genesis chapter 1. The first day of creation, there was darkness. And then God said, let there be light. And we're reminded how John begins his gospel. And again, as he begins his gospel, he begins with a reminder of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then he says, in him was life. And his life was the light of the world. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Now John begins on the first day of the week. While it was still dark. And you'll remember that when our Lord was crucified, darkness covered the face of the earth once again. And we heard last Sunday that Good Friday was a bright day because there was the revelation of the light of the world glorified on the cross. But for those who were there, it was a, it was a dark day. It was a very dark day. And it looked as though the light had not overcome the darkness. It looked as though the darkness had overcome the light. The Son of God had been crucified. He'd been beaten. He'd been mocked. He'd been scourged. He died. He was put in a tomb. Think of all his disciples. Every one of them scattered. Every one of them abandoned him. Peter, the one who was most zealous, saying, Lord, surely not I. I will never leave you. Denied him three times. And remember when he heard that rooster crow the third time, he went away and he wept bitterly. Peter is weeping bitterly. And all of the hope of the kingdom of God, all of the hope of of eternal life, all of the hope of peace and joy seemed to be gone, completely gone, destroyed, snuffed out. So yes, it looked as though darkness had overcome the light. It looked as though sin and death and the devil ruled after all. But John tells us now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And in the midst of the darkness, she sees this. The stone had been taken away from the tomb. Early in the morning, in the midst of the darkness, she sees that the tomb is empty. Yes, it's still dark. But the tomb is empty. And what John reports in his account of the resurrection, in, in all of chapter, chapter 20 and then into 21, is, is a new creation story. It's an account of new creation. Early in the morning on the first day. On the evening of the first day. There's a woman in the garden. There's the gardener, the last Adam in the gardener. He goes to his disciples. Just as God breathed on Adam in the garden, so our Lord breathes on his disciples. My peace I give you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Peace, shalom. The peace of Eden restored and returned. This is an account of new creation as cosmic significance. That was the first day of the new creation. Yes, we still live in the present evil age, and we're very aware of that. But that was the first day of the new creation. The light is shining. 
in the darkness. Today has cosmic significance. And we would be blessed to reflect on the cosmic significance of the resurrection of Christ. But our Lord Jesus, when he was raised, he didn't go and show himself on the the wall of the temple to declare that sin and death and the devil had had been defeated, that he had conquered, that he was victorious. You know, we think of those climactic scenes in like the Marvel movies. Very dramatic. Here's Thor. But not, not on the first day of this new creation. Yes, cosmic significance, but it is very personal and it's intimate. Jesus doesn't go and show himself on the wall of the temple. He doesn't even show himself to Peter and John. He shows himself first to Mary. Mary Magdalene. Now, she has a certain reputation in the history of the church. That reputation starts with Gregory the Great in the 6th century, where he connected her with the, the woman of ill repute, uh, repute, the prostitute, who had anointed Jesus and, and uh, washed his feet with her tears. But that's, that's Gregory's connection. The New Testament, the Gospels don't make that connection for us. In fact, the Gospels tell us that Mary Magdalene was a woman of some means. A wealthy woman, a noble woman. Luke 8 tells us that she was, she was among the disciples and she was a wealthy woman who provided the financial resources for Jesus' ministry. She was from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. But the gospel also reports to us that our Lord had cast seven demons out of her. So yes, a noble woman, a woman of some means, of some substance. But a woman in bondage. Seven demons. Seven is the number of perfection, completion. She was in complete bondage to the evil one. And yet our Lord had sought her out, had found her, had delivered her from these seven demons. And even when all of the other disciples scattered, she was there. John 19 tells us that when Jesus was crucified, she stood by the cross. And sometimes as we think of and we imagine crucifixion, we we imagine those being crucified up on a hill and way up high. But that that wasn't how crucifixion worked in the first century. The one who was crucified was just barely off the ground. And when it says that she was by the cross, she was right here. As our Lord suffered, as our Lord gasped for air, she was right there. And, that, and, and for her, that dark moment, she was there. She saw him breathe his last. And now she comes to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week. And she finds the tomb empty. And all she can think is, where's his body? Where's his body? What have they done with his body? She can't imagine that, she's been, that he's been resurrected. And she remains there. She stood by him at the cross. She remains by the empty tomb and... She weeps. And then our risen Lord meets her. And he asks her why she's weeping. And then he says her name. And when, she says, when he says her name, she recognizes him. And yes, there's cosmic significance to the resurrection. There's cosmic significance to this day. But I want each one of you who have come here this morning... Not simply to think of the cosmic significance of the resurrection of our Lord, 
But know that your risen Savior stands before you today, and he calls you by your name. This is deeply personal. And so I want us to consider this encounter between the risen Lord and Mary Magdalene. And our Lord asks a question, our Lord calls her by name, and then he commissions her. And that's what I want to consider. First, his question, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Many of us have come here this morning downcast in soul. He says to us this morning, our risen Lord says to us, why are you weeping? And then he called her by name, simply Mary. He said Mary. And our risen Lord calls you by name, by your name this morning. And then he commissions her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. And so he says to us this morning, go and say. So first the question. And let's hear this question in the context. So I'm going to reread starting at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now we need to imagine the scene. Mary is in a garden by the tomb. She's standing there. And then she stoops down and she looks into the tomb. And we need to appreciate the significance of where she is. She's on the threshold between a garden and a tomb, between Eden and Hades. There she is on the threshold. And she looks into Hades. She looks into the grave, into the tomb. And she sees there two angels. The tomb is empty, just two angels. She doesn't appreciate the significance of this. She can't imagine that the grave has been conquered, that death has been defeated. That's the significance of the two angels there. Angels are heavenly soldiers. The, The angels in heaven are an army of angels. God is the Lord of hosts. He's the captain of the army of angels. The Lord Jesus is the Lord of hosts, the captain of the army of angels. And now there are angels in the tomb. There are angels in Hades. And the significance of that is our Lord has come down from heaven and he has conquered the grave. He has conquered the the, the tomb, conquered Hades. And his troops are there occupying Hades. The tomb is empty. But she can't imagine there's a victory, not yet. She's weeping. She's still in the darkness. She's still looking in Hades. She's still looking in the tomb. And we can only imagine the thoughts that are going through her mind. Our Lord was crucified on a Roman cross. 
Her people suffered under Roman occupation. Were the Romans more powerful after all? Would there be no liberation from this pagan empire? Some of us are wondering that. Is the state more powerful after all? It was the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, who had conspired to kill Jesus. They were the ones that put him on the cross. And she must be wondering, is there any hope for Israel? Is there any hope for renewal, revival? And we may be wondering that this morning. Is there any hope for God's people in Canada, for the saints in Toronto? Any hope for revival, for renewal of the church this morning? But I think as she wept and as she longed to just see the body of her Lord, she must have been wondering if, after all, death had conquered life. If, after all, the the devil was victorious. Would those seven demons come back and claim her again? Would Would she die in her sins? Would she be lost forever in the darkness? And some of you may have come here this morning and you're, you're wondering if perhaps your sins are too great to be forgiven. You think of your, your anger. You think of your bitterness, your envy. You think of your greed. You think of your indiscipline, your, laze, your lack of zeal, your sloth. You think of your addiction to pornography. Some of you know what Mary Magdalene knew. You know the oppression of our enemy. You you know the oppression of the spiritual forces of darkness. And we we can sense and we we can feel the darkness in this city right now. We're aware of it. We feel it. It's creeping in. And we may be wondering, is there, is there hope for deliverance? Is there the forgiveness of my, sin, of my sins? Is it true there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? And as she's weeping and as she's looking into the tomb, she turns out to the garden again. And she sees a man. She doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. And when she's looking for him, and she's seeking after him, he finds her. Now, he's not lost. She thinks he's lost. She's searching for him. The truth is, she's lost. And he finds her. And he meets her there on the threshold of Eden and Hades. And he asks her, why are you weeping? The risen Son of God On the first day of the week, his first concern is to meet with Mary Magdalene and ask her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, she doesn't recognize him. She supposes that he's the gardener. In one sense, that's true. He is the gardener. He is the one that is coming to cultivate and renew and redeem and restore all things. He's the one who has come to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. 
He's come to make his blessings flow in this city of Toronto. As far as the curse is found in this city in, uh, in Toronto, of Toronto. He's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found in your life, in your heart. He is the gardener. He is making all things new. But she doesn't recognize him. She's in the grips of her despair. And she turns back and looks in the tomb. And we know this because when he says her name, she turns. So she turns back. She's looking back into the tomb. And some of us here this morning, yes, we know the significance of this day. We may confess. We may profess. Yes, he is risen. He is risen indeed. But we're looking in the tomb. We're looking at the darkness. We're looking at death. We're looking at our own sin. And as she's looking in the tomb, he calls her, Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. He says her name, Mary. Now each one of us has a name. We're not numbered at birth. We're not classified at birth. We're named at birth. And by our name, we are known. By our name, we know we relate to other people. It it affirms who we are, our name. Now, we live in a society that doesn't really care about your name. They're concerned about pronouns. They want to classify you as being a part of, you know, the privileged group or the oppressed group. That's dehumanizing. That's an abstraction. Pronoun, something in place of your name. But you're named. And our Lord goes to Mary and he says, he calls her name Mary. And he doesn't say Mary Magdalene. She's not defined by her past. She's not defined where she came from. She's simply Mary. And when she hears his voice call her name, she turns and she recognizes. She knows. And she falls at his feet and she grabs hold of him. She cries out, Rabboni, teacher. In that moment, the threat of Hades, her despair, her weeping, her sense that all had been lost, the hopelessness, her concern, maybe, maybe Rome will, is, is too powerful after all. Maybe sin and death and, and the devil have won. It all vanishes. It's all gone. It, all, it disappears in a moment. Mary. She turns to him. She knows. And you need to know, each one of you needs to know, that the same risen Lord Jesus calls you by your name this morning. Listen to his voice calling your name. And he's calling you out of the tomb. And he's turning you away from the tomb. And he calls your name. Turn to him. Cling to him. Now, no sooner does she grab a hold of him. And he says, do not cling to me. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her.
Now she says, uh, he says to her, do not cling to me. Let go of me. Don't grab hold of me. There's two reasons why he says this. First, I've not yet ascended to the Father. And secondly, because you need to go. You need to go and say. But first he says, I've not yet ascended to the Father. Think of what she cries out when she turns to him. Rabboni, teacher. She's clinging to her teacher. She's clinging to Rabboni. But he is more to her than her teacher. He's ascending to the Father. He is the Son of God. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. He's more than Rabboni to her. He is the Son of God, the risen Son of God, and he is ascending to the Father, and he's saying, don't grab a hold of me, because you need to come and know me more deeply and more fully. And remember what he said to his disciples, it's better that I go, for if I go... I will send the Spirit, and he will bear witness about me. And by the Spirit of God, we are joined in, in to the Son of God, and we come to know him much more fully and deeply than simply as Rabboni, but as Son, the Divine Son. Don't cling to me as teacher. I'm ascending to the Father. But don't cling to me, but go. Go to my brothers. He commissions her. Don't cling to me because you have, I've, I, have, I have something for you to do. You need to go out. You need to speak. Now, we may want to just stay in here today all day. We kind of just want to cling to this moment, cling to this place. But our Lord says, no, I'm sending you out. Go and say. And he says, go and say to my brothers... Yes, my brothers, the eleven, Peter, John, the ones who had scattered, the ones who had abandoned him, Peter who had denied him three times. And at that moment of their profound weakness and, and their turning away from him, he calls them brothers. This is the first time in the gospel that he calls them brothers. First he calls them servants. Then he calls them friends. And now he calls them brothers. There's a promotion, servants to friends to brothers. They didn't deserve this promotion. They didn't earn this promotion. He made them brothers. He declared them to be my brothers. And he commissions her and, she sa- and he says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. I'm ascending. I'm ascending to my Father. And our risen Savior has ascended. In the flesh, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is ruling and reigning from that place. He rules and reigns over all things. Nothing in the last year, nothing this year has changed that. And whether, our, whether the world recognizes this or not, every time we talk about 2020 or 2021, we are declaring that he reigns and rules over all things. Because why is it 2020? Why is it 2021? That marks the coming of Christ. It's the year of our Lord. He rules and reigns over all things. 
And he's there as our high priest. He's interceding for us. He's interceding for us right now. When we gathered here this morning, our Savior was at the right hand of his Father interceding for us, praying for us. Think of what Hebrews declares. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. And then it quotes Psalm 22. The vindicated one who had suffered, the one who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me at the beginning of Psalm 22, then says at the end of the psalm, I will declare your, your praises in the congregation of my brothers. And our risen Savior is at the right hand of his Father right now declaring praises in the congregation of his brothers. He's here among us, leading us in songs of praise this morning. But he says, I'm ascending to my Father. And all through John's gospel, Jesus again and again. And you know, those of you that have been here on Sundays, John 5, John 7, Jesus is in these conversations. And again and again, he's, he's speaking of my Father, my Father, the one who sent me. And then Thomas, at the Last Supper, says to Jesus, show us the Father. We want to see the Father. Show us the Father. But Jesus says here, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. Your Father. His Father is our Father. And because he, he has not only rescued us from sin and death. He's not only bore our sins and bore the judgment for our sin on the cross. So that the record of death that stood against us has been canceled. So that we are justified. We don't come before God as forgiven, pardoned, justified sinners. We come before him as his dearly loved children. Yes, he rescued us from sin, but he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this morning, the risen Jesus tells us, I have ascended to my father and your father. And that means that the very love with which the Father, God the Father loves God the Son is the same love with which he loved us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Go to my Father and your Father. And so this morning, yes, we're reminded that we've not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into sin, but a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba. Father. This morning we're reminded of our baptism. Just as God the Father said, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So he has said to each one of you who have been baptized, who have put your faith in in Christ, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And so Jesus commissions her. Go. And say, and look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced. Go and say, she went and said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all these things that he had said to her. Now, when she stood by Jesus on the cross, all of these other men ran away. Peter denied the Lord three times. When she went to them weeping, saying, they have taken his body. They raced to the tomb. They checked it out. 
John believed, yep, they have. It's empty. And they went home. While Mary stood there weeping. But Jesus had just, just said to her, these are my brothers. And go to them. And we need to recognize that the reality of this first community, this first gathering, these are not superhero people of faith. And this last year, our Lord has, warned, has, has shown us that the church, God's people, we're not some romantic, idyllic, utopian gathering of people. And we're reminded of all of our weaknesses and our flaws and our sins. And yet our Lord says, you are my brothers. And some of you have come here this morning and you're visiting from other churches. Go, go back to your brothers and sisters and say to them, I've seen the Lord. And it's a reminder that we exhort and encourage and declare to one another, you are God's dearly loved son, his dearly loved daughter. And we go out to a world that, know, that doesn't know the joy, the love of this salvation, this redemption, this adoption in Christ. And we go and say, he has risen, he's ascended to the Father. He calls you by name. And so she goes and she declares, I have seen the Lord, I have seen the Lord. Our testimony is personal. But then she declares all these things that he had said, and we declare his word. So yes, we don't, cl- we, we don't cling to him this morning, we turn to him, But we hear his commission. He says to us, go. Go and speak. And so we go out. We're all going to go out at some point. And we go and we speak and we announce, I have seen the Lord. And he has ascended to the Father. And now we come to the Lord's table. And we remember the other account that we read. One of the other accounts from Luke's Gospel. Two other disciples, downcast, their hearts heavy. And our Lord met with them too. Walked with them on the road to Emmaus. Opened up the scriptures to them. And then on that first day of the week, he sat down with table at them and he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And yes, our risen Savior is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. But those disciples went back and reported how they had seen the Lord, how their hearts were burning within them as he opened the scriptures to them, and how they recognized him in the breaking of bread. And so we come now on this Resurrection Sunday to the Lord's table, and we recognize him, the presence of our risen Savior with us in the breaking of bread.